Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a surplus they play so far. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. Yes. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Young men play against and make his ass win. That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. End zone. This is a mauling, folks. A mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. I- Hello, welcome. Another edition of the. Um, hey, you sure we have to do this one? Yes, unfortunately, we have to do this. All right. Another edition of the uh, Alabama football podcast. So, Tom uh, took the missus to California last week. Uh, mostly went well. Uh, you know, one of the events that we had planned uh, didn't quite go so well, but overall, it was a pretty good trip. Uh, anything you want to add, or are we good here? No, I think we're good, man. You can just go ahead and say this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast and All Roll right. Tide. Well, Roll Tide then, right? <laughs> no, man. You know, obviously, this team has now lost four games in the past four years. And we have talked many times on the show about enjoy this train ride, okay? Well, one of the reasons, I mean, you've lost four games in the past four years, right? That's just ridiculously good. Um, so obviously this team has been very good for, you know, for a decade now, I will tell you since we've had time to travel back from the West coast and we've had time to listen to the media outlets online and TV and, you know, newspaper print, et cetera. Um, I'm looking forward to doing this show today because I want Bama fans who like our show to hear somebody say that the run's not over. The dynasty's not over. Saban's not too old. And all the stuff I've been hearing for the past couple of days, I'm kind of sick of it. Because if you know, if you understand the game of football and we break it down like we're going to do here in a few minutes, there's a lot of things. Bama had a lot of things going against them. I'm not trying to sound like sour grapes. Clemson won the game. Okay, but you said to me a minute ago as we were preparing for the show, you're like, if this is the NBA finals or this is the World Series and it's the best of seven, you and I think Alabama wins this, right? Yeah. And so was Clemson the better team that day? At the end of the day, the score was in their favor. Okay. But um there there's a lot of this game, David, reminds me of the two thousand ten Auburn game against Cam Newton. And 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 the fact that, like so many things that could go wrong, did go wrong. And 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 as you mentioned, 
you know, the score of this game could have been very different. I mean, how many times have you watched an Alabama game where we've had so many possessions that we've gone for it on fourth down in the red zone and not converted, right? And the pick seven alone to start the game was a 14-point swing. So just, yep. just we'll talk about this on the show, but I, I, I just want Bama fans to – everything they've been hearing is just like when Saban lost to Clemson a couple years ago. It was – it's – it's your word of lazy analysis, right? You like to talk about lazy analysis. Well, there's been a lot of lazy analysis in the past three or four days. Um, and it's like, oh, we can finally say something negative about Alabama, so let's just pile on. Yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with that. I, you know, a couple couple sort of introductory thoughts that that I would I would add and <clears throat> really kind of parallel, you know, what you're saying. Um, you know, I remember you know, back and this, and this goes back and this speaks to how long, you know, this gravy train has been running, but uh, walking around the, the Rose bowl uh, after the, the national title in, was that, you know, 2009 and, yeah, 2009. and feeling, you know, a little bit of relief, a little bit of sort of elation, sort of a mix. And, and, uh, um, and, and in fact, I think that was the year before we, we started the podcast even, and, you know, walking around the stadium and thinking, you know, if we're going to compete, if, if, if the whole Saban thing is going to be as, as good as we think it can be, and we're going to compete at this high level, then we're going to lose some of these games. And I need to be, and I was just kind of talking to myself. I was like, I need to be, am I okay with losing, being in a national title game and losing it for the sake of, knowing that we're going to go to some and win and hey some years we're not going to go to it but that we're going to be in the short list of teams on any given year that have a chance to win it and i remember thinking yeah i can be cool with that considering you know what the 10 years prior to that you know had been and so here we are as aggravating as it is and as not much fun as it is to to lose a game like that it really speaks to the the expectation that have been rightfully built up over time and really a level of expectation. But if we take one sort of big step back and we put this in perspective, this is still a really nice ride. This is still uh, for, you know, like you said, everyone wants to pile on, say something negative because there's an opportunity to, but the reality is this is a darn nice run and even though we would have liked the margin to have been closer here, I think the game was actually closer than the margin. And I think that Alabama's pulling in a number one ranked recruiting class. We'll talk about some of the coaching, you know, turnover turnover a little bit. But, you know, when the preseason ranks rankings come out and probably some have already come out, it's going to be Clemson and Alabama. Now, it might be Clemson, then Alabama, as opposed to Alabama, then Clemson. But you know what? I don't care. I don't really care. Uh, it's still going to be Alabama is still going to be one of the names in the short list. Somebody might get cute and put Georgia in there. And so whatever. As we sit here today, I honestly don't give a rats. We're going to be in the top three, four, whatever it is. And, and, and you know, let's see how things pan out a year from now. And, um, and I think, I think we're going to find as Alabama fans, we're going to, we're going to end up being all right. <laughs> um, all right. But, are, uh, you, are you, are you, are you sitting down? I am. All right. We don't do much Alabama Homer on this show, right? 
in all the years we've done it? We, we, we call it like we see it, right? We've been accused of it, but I, I don't think we do. Okay, so I am going to say something that some fans might think is my best Alabama homer right now. All right. Okay, so if you think you might get offended, I want y'all just to mute it for a second. Okay, <laughs> just go earmuffs for a minute. Okay, I think. Okay, everything happens for a reason, and while it was frustrating to lose this game, I think that you learn lessons in games where you lose, just like games where you win. Like Saban said in his post-game interview, I'm going to tell you that I think that the result of this game is going to be exchanging one national championship that just came and went for two more in the next two years. And I think that this will fuel Tua to stay for his senior year, play wow. another year with his brother, and I think Alabama will win the next two national championships back-to-back. All right. That's big. <laughs> that, that's, that's how uh, much I think this is going to really, really, really piss off this team. Well, because you know, sometimes of, it's good to say, I mean, dude, we just said they've won. They've lost four games in the past four years. Mm -hmm. Okay. They've only lost eight games in the past seven years. It's ridiculous. So I'm sorry. You were, so what's your thoughts on that? What's your thoughts on that comment? Well, the two in the, in the two of staying that, that might be, that might be a little bit of a of a stretch, but but I hear you. Uh, I I think you know one of the things that Saban says, uh, sort of one of his mantras is you know don't waste a loss. And if you think about what that means, that's pretty damn savage. You know, like if you have to endure not winning, then milk it for every ounce of something that you can you know glean from. Milk it for everything that it has to offer. And so I I do think that. You know, and I don't know if it's this, if it's this game playing in the weight room all summer long or, you know, what it is. But I do think that for the players coming back, um, that they will indeed draw motivation from this game. And that motivation, you know, I was I, even just thinking about it. I, you know, one of the thoughts that jumps up to my mind, we opened the season against Duke. Um, and I already feel bad for Duke, <laughs> you, you know, like you don't want to be the next one and, and it's, it's a little bit of a wait. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, there's a part of me that says I already feel bad for Duke because they're going to take, they're going to take this on the chin after all summer long, the players have heard about this. Um, you know, the, there's, there's, there's guys in Tuscaloosa that can't wait to get back on the field and prove that 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 wasn't a representation of what they're capable of, and uh, and and you know I guess there's a day and they'll get a chance to do it there, but against a live opponent, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, I, I I think uh, you know Clemson did not do their ACC bre brethren a uh, a solid there in that regard. <laughs> No, absolutely. Well, you know, before we jump into the game, a couple of the things that, you know, that, that I've heard about, you know, in the whole lazy analysis that you talk about is they're just talking about how Clemson was the better team and the dynasty's gone and, and Saban's too old, you know, is he getting too old to, to do this and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I just want to address a couple of things real quick. First of all, Saban, there might be only one other person like him, and that's Bill Belichick. Okay, Saban's not Saban's not like every other coach. 
Okay. When I sat there and listened to this post game press conference of this guy that they want to write off at 68 years old, I'm sorry. Listening to him do a post game press conference at 68 and listening to when Bobby Bowden, you know, was 68 mm-hmm. doing a press conference, this isn't the same situation, dude. This is apples to freaking grapefruits. He was sitting there after the game and he was sitting there talking so succinctly about the different plays that went the wrong way, like to the, to the, to the minute detail. Yep. He's not your average 68 year old cat. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's just not. No, he's, he's not. And, and all the reporting, uh, you know, is at the end of the dynasty, you know, some of that reporting we've seen, you know, eight or nine years ago. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those things. If eventually you'll say it and it'll be true. You know, the people that, you know, Saban's just going to leave, Saban's going to leave. Well, eventually, yeah, he'll have to retire. Uh, and so, you know, the sort of the thought I have is, you know, a stopped clock is right twice a day. Uh, and so eventually, if you say it enough times, then it by default, it will be true once. Uh, but that doesn't mean that these people are, you know, grand prognosticators. It just means, you know, a stop clock is right twice a day. Yes. Well, the next thing, the next thing I want to address that I've been hearing for the past few days, which is driving me crazy, is, you know, they're talking about, they're talking about Clemson was the better team. Well, you know, Alabama, because they've been so dominant for so long, for a decade, because they have more first-round players that have gone to the NFL than any other team. And I don't have the, you know, for example, okay, Alabama has had 77 players drafted in the NFL in the past 10 years. 77. Mm -hmm. By far the most of any program. Well, if you've got 22 starters and you've averaged 77 players over the past 10 years, which is 7.7 players, that's almost half of your starters, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, over, we'll, we'll say, what is that? 30% of your starting 22, right? Over the past 10 years. And so, you know, I do think that because of all the success and because of all the players that they keep losing early, okay, I, I do think that that played, a, you know, played a role in this game. And we'll talk about it on the defensive side of the ball. But when you look at the Clemson starting defensive line for a second, you know, even though they didn't have Dexter Lawrence, okay, they had Christian Wilkins, fifth-year senior, Albert Huggins, fifth-year senior, Austin Bryant, fifth-year senior, and Farrell, you know, is a redshirt junior. And so I, I say that to, to tell you that, you know, like take Hunter Renfro, right, which for the first time in this, in this four-game series has not been a factor, you know, who's a redshirt senior as well. I, I, I want to make sure Bama fans realize that, you know, I think depth might have caught up with us a little bit in this game. And I just want to talk about this at a high level before we break down plays. I think depth might have, you know, caught up to us in this game. And and all the players that we lost on the defensive side of the ball last year, uh, you know, I, I think that played a role in this game. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, uh, it, you know, especially in the secondary. And, you know, kind of the irony is, is you know, we had the same, you know, a couple of years ago when we lost to to Clemson. Uh, it was a very similar circumstance where we lost some guys in the secondary and had they been available for that game, you know, Eddie Jackson 
went down and Kendall Sheffield. We had to get Tony Brown. Yeah, we traded Tony Brown for Eddie Jackson. Yeah, right. Yep. And uh, and was it was that the year that Kendall Sheffield uh, moved on, uh, transferred? Maurice Smith, uh, you know, moved on to to Georgia. And so we had a couple uh, a couple of losses there in the secondary that I think impacted the outcome of of that game along with the injury to Scarborough and, and things like that. But I think having to replace all six secondary players uh, impacted this game. And in, and in fact, with Travion Smith going down um, or Travion Diggs going down uh, in the season, then, you know, that's another defensive back that uh, the secondary had to replace. And I do think that that attrition. Well, and that's a, well, and that's the reason. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just think that, that attrition, uh, you know, we were a, Alabama was able to overcome that through the season, obviously going 14 and 0, um, overcome that through uh, the season. But when we faced talent wise and equal, I mean, it almost cost us against Georgia. Uh, when we face a talent, uh, uh, a similar talented team in in the person of Clemson, in the team of Clemson, it did catch up with us. And, uh, you know, and even when we can talk about, we break down the defense, but, you know, even sure. when Savion Smith went down and, and Josh Job had to come in, you know, you're reaching really deep into, oh, you know, what freshman. was already a, a depleted secondary. So, yeah, you got a true freshman. And, and, and also, too, I mean, we'll talk about this on the defense side of the ball, but by the same token of the depth, right, we, yep. did, our pre, we did our preseason show and we talked about all the losses on defense. And we talked about, you know, like Mac Wilson and Dylan Moses was going to have to stay healthy because they were the only two middle linebackers. Yep. Well, guess what? Um, Isaiah Bugs was really banged up in this game. Yep. Isaiah Bugs was not the normal Isaiah Bugs. He couldn't hold the edge. He couldn't get pushed to the quarterback. He could hardly walk on that one, on that one leg. Okay? That allowed them to double-team Quentin Williams the whole game. And guess what? Um, you know, and – I guess we can break that further down when we get to the defense side of the ball about some of the other depth issues. But I, but I think on the defensive yeah. line even standpoint, you know, that that played a role too. One other thing that that I think that the the media has not addressed that I want to address with you real quick is just the the staff. And so not only do you lose all these players to NFL draft because of your decade of success, but you also have to deal with the loss of your coaches, right? Mm-hmm. And so Alabama just played Clemson with their fourth offensive coordinator in four games and they just played them with their third different defensive coordinator in four games. Yep. Whereas Clemson has played four times against Alabama now with the same offensive coordinator and the same defensive coordinator. And so I just want you to touch on that for the listeners for a second, because that's huge to me that, that, you know, granted is, is Clemson's defensive coordinator really good? Sure he is, but my goodness, he's got to go against the same team now four times. There's a difference when you're the when you're the same guy for four times versus a different guy every time. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, um, you know staff continuity is is a big thing that that played in Clemson's favor, and and even you know Justin Ross, uh, a player that we really went after uh, recruiting, uh, and the freshman who just you know torched uh, torched the Alabama secondary. Uh, one of the comments he made in making his decision was the uh, the turnover on the Alabama coaching staff that he that he didn't want to come into Alabama and always have uh, new coaches that he liked the stability that Clemson offered. And so at some level um, it is something that Alabama overcomes at another level. It is, it, it, it is a, um, it is a flaw 
and it is something that um you know we talk about saving being a recruiter um you know at some level maybe one recruiting job that that we would like to see more of is is the the retention of coaches and there's already sort of an outflux of coaches um some of which I'd you know and we can get into we can get into this as well but I I might sure. I might harbor a little bit of concern over some of the coaches that we've lost but why don't we do this why don't we sort of get back sure. uh, get back you know kind of between the rails and uh, jump us into uh, offense what are a couple of things on offense that that jumped out to you and then we'll sort of you know f- you know flow from there but what are the couple of things on offense that uh, that really jumped out at you number one thing that jumped out at me is we got away from Alabama football. Um, because you've got a defense that has injuries in, a, in limited depth and you've got secondary issues, I think the game plan, and, and sure some might say, oh, it's easy to say now, but dude, it's not you, it's not you pass to set up the run, at least not at Alabama, not in Tuscaloosa. It's you run the ball to set up the pass. Mm-hmm. And so I think when they came out to start this game and they threw uh, pass, uh, you know, consecutive passes before the pick six, um, they came back the next series and they started running the ball. And what do you know, as soon as they start running the ball, they have success with, you know, with a pass to Jerry Judy. I think this team, you know, and, and I don't know if I blame Mike Loxley. Um, I don't know, you know, at the end of the day, right, we, we don't have a headset to see who called the play and did, did Saban overrule, you know, any of these plays, et cetera. But you've seen games where Saban has had to pull the reins back in the old days against Lane Kiffin and say, okay, we're going to get back to running the ball. Well, Dave, I think if they had come out to start this game and established the run early, they wouldn't have had those turnovers. They would have wore out Clemson. They would have given more rest to their defense, which was banged up and limited depth. And I think that's the way they should have approached this game. So that's the that's the overwhelming, glaring thing, is that we were sitting there in the second quarter, and Clemson had 29 rushing yards on the jumbotron. I'm looking up in the stadium. They have 29 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. We had 126 rushing yards at that point in the second quarter. Early in the second quarter, we already have 126 yards rushing. So I think I, I think the game plan was wrong out of the gate. Okay, I don't I don't know that I'm all in in the way you are on the running game. However, I think I think there's a lot of I do think there's merit to it. Uh, I think all three uh, of the tailbacks were having good days. Uh, Najee was Najee averaged uh, 6.6. Damian, you know, 5.2 and and Jacobs, um, you know, 4.3. And so they were all productive running the ball. I did like early in the game, the time of possession really significantly in our favor. And I did think there was an opportunity. Sometimes you evolve your plan as you go. And so early in the game, when the time of possession is is significantly out of sorts, we should have doubled down on that. Um, and, and maybe that wasn't the game plan, but if your game plan's not adjustable to the moment uh, or you can't, you know, flip ahead to page three because the moment's right, then you've got a bad plan. And so I think we could have jumped up and down on the run button uh, when the time of possession was really skewed out of, out of sorts because let's let's double down on wearing out their defensive front because that's really the part of their 
their team that that concerns us. And so let's wear them out early. So I do think there's there's merit there. We did have uh, we punted twice. Alabama punted twice. And so if you only punt twice over the course of a game, that means offensively you're moving the ball well. You're having success. And so one of the punts. Um, you I'm know, sorry, came, you got a discount. You got a discount. One of the punts. One of the punts came with a minute ten left in the game. Yeah. So to even underscore what you're saying, we punted one time at the very end of the first half and one yep. time at the very end of the game. Yep. Dude, they didn't stop us. We stopped ourselves. No, I think you're right. And 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 that that first punt, um, you know, we had seven possessions in the first half, and the sixth possession we punted. So we were that far into the game. Uh, you know, before before we punted, uh, you know, Najee had really two nice runs. Uh, and 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 right about the time you think, oh, let's get this running going. Uh, we took an we took an 11 yard sack and then, you know, we ended up having to punt. And that was a situation that one really jumped out to me. Now, I'm not I was not as opposed to the game plan as, you know, as you're saying. However, that's an example of, hey, we're having success moving the ball. Their defense is spending a lot of time on on the field. Um, let's keep this ball on the ground. Let's maintain possession. Let's let's try to go to half, you know, close in the lead. Let's let's try not to give up the ball here, and and let's drive it down, wear out the defense going to half, uh, score a touchdown, and and you know, turns out you know we had to we had to punt there. So I I don't while while I don't think that's probably the number one thing that jumps out into my mind. I, I think it's right near the top, and I think had we had we hammered the run um, at at critical points in the game, that it would have impacted uh, it would have impacted the outcome. Well, I'll say it this way: at the beginning of the game, when we had the pick six, okay, um, well, okay, I agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying that I think that we we I think we took more chances in the passing game than we needed to. Okay, I guess what I'm saying is we had such success early running this game. Okay, it's almost like we we needed Tua to be a little more of a game manager. If you get where I'm going, like we didn't need we didn't need as much from him because we were just gashing them running the ball. Okay, Mm -hmm. and so and so like so like um, talk talk to me talk let's let's talk for a second about the the two interceptions because you know we we call it straight on the show and and we've talked about how well two is done um on the first pick six which could have easily been a 14 point turnaround because they were at midfield we had started the game by throwing two out pad two out passes okay one after another on the second play Tua had a safety in his face. They they decided to bring pressure, unlike what we did, which we'll talk about in a minute. He had a guy jumping up in his face, and just because he's so good, he was able to throw a rope through the guy's arms to Devonta Smith for, for the first down. And then the third play of the game is when he has the pick. But on that third play, they bring a safety from the other corner, from the other edge, jumping right in his face, and he just made a bad pass. Like I went back and watched it a couple of times and, and he just way threw it behind Jerry Judy. And so in that situation, man, when you've got a guy in your face again for the second play in a row and it's now first and 10 at your 41, why, why didn't he just zing that ball about 10 feet higher in the air, just over Judy's head out of bounds and just say, I'm going to live to fight another day. Like, like 
th- this is where I think he's got a lot of Steve Young in him, right? Like, like, you know, Steve Young used to be like, oh, I can fit it in here. I can yep. fit it in here. I can do it. And I think both of his picks in this ball game was where he just said, I'm going to do it. And I think he should have just made the safer play. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, um, and and I think the read was on 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 the first play was wrong and 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 I'd read a nice and I can't remember if I read this or I was watching uh, Tim Tebow uh, an interview with Tebow uh, prior to the game. There's so much you know coverage, but you know Tebow talked about when he was at Florida uh, and they played Oklahoma when Brent Venables was the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. You know he said that um, they came out to start the game and and talking about you know Tua sort of weathering the storm at the beginning of the game. He said they came out at the beginning of that game and their secondary was running things that they had not run in two years uh, that they, you know, that, that Florida had not seen in, in, in two years of, of, of footage. And so the thought was be prepared to see things that you haven't seen early in the game, whether that because at the end of the day, they're going to come back and do what they do. Uh, if they had a better plan than what they've been, it's, you know, Saban says this too. If we had a better plan, we would have already been doing it. Uh, and so you think, hey, we're going to show you things that you haven't seen, but we know our bread and butter is still our bread and butter. So we're going to go back to the things that you have seen. But if we can disorient you early, then we think that that can have an effect over the course of the game. And I think clearly they disoriented him early. And in the first, you know, two half pick, you know, first two picks and, you know, and they scored off of, of you know, both of them. So that was, you know, that was 14 points on turnovers. I, I don't want to assign points to had we possessed the ball, but certainly that's 14 points that, you know, you could look at on uh, on the Clemson ledger uh, and put a question mark to them. You know, the, the thing that the thing that I'll say that this stands out the most to me on offense and, you know, Intuita had an OK day. It, uh, and in fact, you know, not a bad day. I mean, he was 22 of 34, 295 yards. Not a bad day at all. I'm just saying that, like, he, he sometimes just needs to just live to play, live live to fight another yeah. day. I mean, it's first and 10 right there. He he should have just thrown the ball away. Yeah. The second interception was was more egregious because he – there really was no window uh, to throw that in. Uh, Judy was triple covered. And he had to see the safety, right? He had yeah. to see the safety over yeah. the top. It, yeah. I mean, he was double covered down the field and there was a man over top. It was – that would that was – that was that was hoping that hey there's uh, there's a, an ever so slight window and I'm good enough to put it in there. I think that was more of a a, a desperation and it, and it just it just it, it, not only did it not work out but it, it sort of completely went the other way. But I'll say this: here's what stood out to me uh, the most, you know, on offense and it, and for me it goes back to um, and we've we've referenced this a couple times, you know, on the podcast. Um, you know, Mike Dubose was right. Almost any game, you can come down to, you know, four, five, six plays, and that determines the outcome of the game. And so for all the razzing, you know, and and that, that sort of comes with Mike Dubose, this thing that he says that, you know, as Alabama fans, we kind of even laughed at at the time, it it almost always comes back to be true. And if you look at this game, it's it's no less true in this game. The two interceptions – led to points. And so in a in a 28 point margin, you could say, okay, that's 14. And Alabama had five possessions inside the Clemson 22 um, and resulted in only nine points scored. In fact, Alabama had three possessions inside the three yard line 
and resulted in only nine points scored. And so if you take those five possessions and you say, you know, Alabama is just going to do Alabama things. And if they get inside the five, they're going to score a touchdown. And if they get inside the 25, they're going to score uh, a field goal. Then Alabama scores 18 points. I'm sorry, Alabama scores 27 points instead of the nine points. And so that's a that's a plus of 18. And so if you take a plus of 18 plus a plus of – and I know all this is if and buts. No, it's a good point. But, no, it's but, a good point because that 18 – If you add 18 to Alabama's total yep. and you take away 14 from Clemson total, then the outcome is different, obviously, but the flow of the game is different. And so you don't have to go yeah. back and do this sort of all after the fact. But if it were happening over the course of the play, you know, Alabama on, you know, there was interception, uh, the touchdown to Jerry Judy, the touchdown to Hale with the missed PAT. Then there was a field goal where we got fourth and goal. We got to talk about that in a second. Yes. You know, then we had an interception. uh, And then to start the to start the second half. We were second and goal at the 22. We were second. We got, we achieved this, right? We got to second and goal. I'm sorry, second and six at the 22. We got to second and four at the 14. And we got to second and goal at the one. And those were three uh, possessions that came down uh, to zero points. And I, I just think we kicked a field goal where we could have had a touchdown. And then we had three possessions where we got, you know, zero where easily, that could have been, you know, 13 points. And I, th- I think no, that's, no, I'm with you. That's, that's, what, what... that's the biggest difference of the game is those lost scoring opportunities because there's easily, easily. Um, and again, I, I'm being conservative. I'm not giving us a touchdown every time we get inside the, inside the 25 or 22. I'm just saying, look, if Alabama gets inside the three, they should score a touchdown. I think anybody kind of walking around since would agree with that. And, you know, not only did we not score, you know, three touchdowns there, but we only scored nine points. We had a a, a one touchdown with a miss PAT and, and a field goal. And so, you know, you think that's 21 points. No, it's nine. That's a big difference. And then, God, you know, don't throw a pick six. And, and so, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to be sour grapes here. I'm just saying, had, had we done what, had Alabama done what they done the whole rest of the season, that is a 32 point point shift. Sure, sure, and and this is why I was saying a minute ago we got away from what Alabama football is. Okay, so let me take a second for the listeners and talk about. So even though we threw the pick six, we came back with a couple touchdowns. Okay, Clemson has now punted the ball twice, and now you know we're sitting here. First and goal at the two yard line. When Damien is able, is only he runs for one yard. Okay, first and goal at the two. When we ended up settling for a field goal, so I went back and I I looked at that play. Okay, what did we do on that play? Because we talked about the fact that we had Lester Cotton in the game, right? Due to decisions that Deontay Brown made, which yep. we will never know what occurred. Well, you've got the regarded as a first-round left tackle junior in Jonah Williams. And we talk about how good he is at the point of attack and just pushing the pile forward, right? So you're first and goal at the one, Dave, but 
the reason Damian Harris, uh, I'm sorry, first and goal to two, the reason Damian Harris gets stopped after one yard on that play, on first and goal, is because we ran a stupid play. Instead of just running straight ahead and letting Jonah Williams, uh, Jonah Williams and Rosh Piercebacher could have just literally helped Lester Cotton at the point of attack. Jonah Williams could have run over uh, Farrell, who's 260 pounds, Clellan uh, Farrell, who's 260 pounds, and you could have just scored a touchdown on the first play. But instead, we pull Jonah Williams around, pull like your stud left tackle. We pull him around the right side to run up behind the right guard. We ask Hale, who is next to him, we ask him uh, to collapse down and block Farrell. Well, no offense to Hale. Hale's 245 pounds. Yep. Uh, Farrell is 268 pounds. Farrell is a stud. No offense to Hale, right? So we ask Hale to to block down Farrell when Jonah Williams vacates the space. Farrell beats Hale, comes down the line of scrimmage, stops Damian Harris for a one-yard gain. Dude, that was a stupid call. You took your star left tackle, who's got a 100-pound advantage or 80-pound advantage over Farrell, and you took him out of the play. He ended up blocking nobody on the play, by the way, and Farrell makes the tackle. So then what do we do? Then we sit there after that doesn't, uh, after that doesn't work uh, a couple plays later is we throw the ball to, to, to Ruggs out in the flats for a bubble screen, and he only gets like three yards. Well, later in the game when we're uh, at the goal line, what do we do again? We throw the ball instead of running the ball. Dude, on the, on the last play where Tua gets uh, – on the last fourth down play where I was just totally disgusted – you're fourth and goal at the two. And what do we call? We take Jonah Williams this time, and we, uh, we have him pull out wide, and we're going to run Tua around the end. You're at the two. Just line up and run the ball. Right. I mean, here's the other thing I'll tell you, man. Um, they should have in this game did like they did last year when they played Clemson, where they brought in Deron Payne, yes. right? And yep. just said, we're going to bowl you over. So I'm sorry. I would have preferred them. They would have scored a lot more touchdowns in this game when they got inside the three to use your stats. Had they just in this football game said, guess what? We are going to have LeBron Ray. We're going to have Fedarian Mathis. We're going to have Johnny Dwight. We're going we're gonna to work on some plays with some of these backups, right? And they're 300 pounds, and they can just run forward and just knock somebody out of the way. And we're just going to line up and play power football, I formation, and we're going to score a touchdown. And had they done that in the red zone in this football game, this would have been a total different football game. Yeah, I think uh, especially in those goal line situations and, you know, and certainly one uh, when we went for the field goal, you know, Jedrick Wills uh, was offsides. And, and so that that pushed us down from from what was a second and one uh, as well. Uh, and so that put it at, at, at uh, you know, we had a second and six uh, at at, at that point. And so <clears throat> I, if we had lined up and like you said, nose of the ground, we're just going to bring in a beef package and you know, we're going to beat you into submission. Um, and I, I do think touchdowns are scored there. And again, I, at the risk of sounding like a Homer, uh, I think that most football fans 
would recognize if you get inside the three, the offensive line should punch in a touchdown, um, irrespective of the name of the jersey. Um, I just think that's that's a football principle. If you've driven the field, you get down to the three, you get down to the one, you punch it in for a touchdown. And that's not me rooting for laundry. That's just, hey, I watch a little football. This is kind of how it works. And so, unfortunately, uh, it didn't. And so it wasn't the range. You mentioned the Auburn game. It wasn't the range of inexplicable things that you never see that that game was. That was almost diabolical. Uh, but here it was like the same thing that kept not working. You know, I don't know, you know, you know, put in put in the beef and you score a touchdown. That's 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 kind of what you do. That's kind of how you do it. And and unfortunately, um, you know, that was not the case there. Of course, the two interceptions. Uh, what do you make of half uh, going into half? Um, you know, Clemson had just scored a, a field goal, extended uh, extended their lead. What did you think of of Alabama just sort of sitting on the ball there uh, having an opportunity I think they took possession with 45 seconds left. Um, wh- what do you make of not attempting uh, to even just put the ball up? Take take two or three shots at the uh, at the back of the end zone. Um, I think that was a bad decision on Saban's part, and and I don't know if it's because Tua had thrown two picks at that point. But if this was last year with Jalen, I don't think you try that. But with the skill set that this quarterback has and with the talented wide receivers and tight end that you have, I think you try to do something. Now, yeah. I think there's two things. Number one, maybe um, the biggest reason they probably didn't do it is because they have a crappy field goal kicker. I think if you have a field goal kicker um, like Georgia does mm-hmm. that – you can drill it from 45 to 50 yards, and you're down by 15 there, I think Saban tries to get within two scores. But between no field goal kicker and the fact that, um, the fact that you know, two had already thrown a couple picks, I think he made a more conservative call there. And so what's frustrating, to answer your question quicker, is earlier in the game I wanted him just to grind the ball out. And that's the situation with three timeouts is you, you you show the team that you have confidence in them to try to get some points on the board. I think by 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 taking the reins or taking the ball out of the offense's hands right there, you showed them you had no confidence in them. And 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 you gave momentum to Clemson going into the locker room that you quit. I I think there was an era of quit about that series of play calls there at the end of the half. Yeah, I think especially with the margin, right? It's a 15-point margin. That's a two-score. You have an opportunity, you know, let's get this down, you know, so, you know, even if you do get a field goal, you get it to 12, you know, you're you're looking at um, you know, two touchdowns give you, gives you the lead uh as as opposed to needing, you know, the 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 extra point. And so you start thinking about uh and it's a term that that you know, Franchoni used, you know, we're in a point accumulation phase of the game. Uh, we'll take the three there, right? Um, and but but the reality is, and I think this is a good point. This is this is an important lens, I think, to to look at that with. If you had Georgia's kicker, you know, hot rod, where you know making a fifty yarder is there's a high degree of confidence in making a fifty yarder. Then what you what you what you are doing is effectively playing with a shorter field. Every time you step onto the field, it's a shorter field because I can kick a fifty yarder. I've got that in my back pocket. Well, Alabama doesn't have that. We don't oftentimes have a PAT 
in our back pocket. And so, so you're playing with a longer field. And so I agree. Had, had we had confidence that we could make a 45, 50 yarder, then, Hey, we're a couple of first downs away from maybe being able to put points in the board. And so we can throw a couple outs here and, um, and, and move the ball and, and maybe take a realistic shot. If you're sitting there saying that we cannot do that and you've convinced yourself that you cannot do that, then it's easier to say, well, a touchdown is just hard, hard to get with limited time. And especially if our quarterback is out. And so let's go back and see if we can't get, you know, some minds right here and make a go of it. But here's the difference for my money. Um, And it, it does make me think of the Georgia game last year, because I think it was a similar circumstance where Alabama went to half, um, essentially just sort of petering away the ball um, and an opportunity to try to, you know, move the ball down. And you said, you know, last year with Jalen, we would have just let the time out. And I honestly think, and I'd have to go back and and see how that game exactly played out, but I honestly think we did something very similar um, against Georgia last year. And the difference is pretty stark. Saban standing on the sidelines watching the first half of the Georgia game unfold knew what he was going to do at half. And so not letting Jalen put the ball up a couple of times, you don't really lose anything because you're not going to rely on him to win the game. But with Tua, why would you not let him throw a couple passes? Because you know the reality is for us to come back and score the two and three and maybe four touchdowns it's going to take to win this game, we can't do that without Tua. So why not give him an opportunity to get a cheap one right here? Oh, sure. And also in that situation, you're down by 15 and if you can possibly get three points on the board and then you get the ball, you can yes. get it back to a yes. one-down game. Yep. And from that standpoint, um, you know, we 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 just uh, I, I didn't I didn't agree with the call um, yeah. for sure. Um, do you want us? Um, There's tell tell me what else jumps out at you on offense. Any anything else that you want to touch on? You know, I the way our seats were positioned and and you know almost almost diabolically, you and I were sitting in the same section when you know we both sourced our tickets outside of the university from different ways. So how that happens, I don't know. But where we were sitting, sort of in the corner uh, of of the end zone, um, where Jerry Judy scored his touchdown, it was it was beautiful, and we were on the third sort of level. So we were not high, not sort of complete nosebleed, but high enough to really get a good perspective on the field. It was fun to watch that play developed because he came off the line and, and made a move, you know, right off the line of scrimmage. And you just knew he's open. He's already beat his man. And so now we just have to wait for the play to happen. But that was fun to watch as he was sort of running towards where we were sitting, knowing Oh, he's already got his man beat. He's already, you know, it has to happen. You know, the guy was kind of turned. It's like, oh, he's beat. And so that was fun to just watch that knowing and, you know, having confidence in Tua over the course of the season, right, Um, that he was going to put the ball in the right place. Jerry was going to be in the right place. He's already beat his man. And so those, like, two seconds felt like they took forever just waiting for, oh, this is going to be fun. It's like when Lane Kiffin used to put his hands up, right? It's like we got what we wanted, and so in that moment, it's like this is a touchdown, and and I just I enjoyed that moment 
we didn't have many in the game, but I enjoyed that moment of like cheering the touchdown even before he caught the ball. Um, that was kind of fun. No, absolutely. Um, well, I, I think that, you know, we were controlling the ball on the ground. We were doing everything we wanted to do on the ground. Um, we were keeping the ball away from them. You know, if, if you if you go back before we flip the field, if you go back and you look at the fact that we had two drives stopped by an interception, we had uh, three drives stopped on downs in the red zone. We only punted the ball twice. Um, you know, I'm sorry, man. They didn't do anything to stop us on offense. And and that's going to be, you know, maybe someone's going to take that as Alabama homer. But, you know, I think Alabama's mistake in this game is they knew Bugs was banged up. They knew Quentin Williams was a little banged up. They knew Christian Miller is probably not going to go. They knew they don't have a Terrell Lewis. They knew they have two linebackers in the middle who's had to play the whole year. They knew the situation in the secondary. I think they should have come into this game and just tried to just do ball control, hold the ball, keep the ball away from Clemson. And then I think this game would have flowed differently. We wouldn't have had to take these chances, you know, on fourth down and stuff. And this game would have been – it would have been more like the score that I predicted. Right. So, it's just – it's very frustrating. It, it is. It is. And I know – I mean, I know that sounds homerism. I know it sounds sour grapes. And I, and I don't want that to be true. I don't, I don't intend to sound that way. They beat us on this day. But I do think there were things that Alabama left on the table. And especially these possessions. What? I think you, when you just well, give I'm sorry, the ball real away. Quick, real quick. Real quick, you need to say what you said again real quick. Because what you said about the five possessions when you kind of laid all that out, dude, that's just not football. That's why I was saying more like the Auburn game. Because if you take if, – if you have ten games for Alabama to play, right, and they have the ball five times, would you say, inside the 22? Yes. Five and they only scored nine points? Dude, yes. <laughs> that might not happen again in ten games like that. That that's what I was talking about when I was comparing it to the Auburn game earlier. That's just if 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 a fan who's not a fan of Clemson, Alabama, just hears that stat that you laid out, they'd be like, "Well, of course, Alabama won the football game. That team had the ball five times inside the twenty-two. Yeah, they won the game." That's what I was saying. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I th- and that and that's where you know that's where I think it's important. I think if 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 you're just you know Joe Smith just. I'm a guy who watches football and, and you say, you know, a team got inside the three, you know, three times, how many, how many points do you think, you know, they'd score? Um, you know, you, you might easily think and expect that they scored 21 points uh, and we got nine uh, and then two possessions inside the 22, uh, the two other possessions. Right. And so again, five inside the 22, nine points is a low total for that. And so, I think that, uh, you know, just person watching football is going to suspect that that the team in that situation is going to score, um, you know, more than nine points. And then if you told me, hey, this is a team that that was number two scoring all season and averaged almost 50 points a game, then you might most assuredly say that team scores more than nine points in that circumstance. Um, you know, I might not give them the full 35, but I will give them more than nine. And you know. Well, and and to and to your point there, right? The other thing that's key about the score differential is Clemson had the pick six, right? They they still had to make the play, but they had the pick six. 
And then they score one touchdown on four plays, and they score another touchdown on three plays. So 21 of their points came from a pick six and two quick strikes. They made the play, right? Our DB fell down. We'll talk about that in a second but that's just all very quirky man it just it just all fell right for clemson what well, is qu- it is quirky and, and and i'll sort of wrap I'll, I'll wrap you know my offense with this when we talk about the four possessions in the second half uh they went like this first possession on downs alabama played 13 plays the best they achieved was second and six at the 22 and that's where we got fourth and six and ran the fake field goal uh, we on the second possession, we ran eight plays and got fourth, uh, got second and four at the 14. And ironically, on fourth and four, we gained three, and so we had to give the ball uh, away one yard short. And on the third possession, we turn over on downs, zero points. We possessed the ball nine plays, and we got to second and goal at the one, and then we had three runs at that point for a loss. My point is. They weren't three and outs. These weren't empty drives. It was a 13 play, an eight play, a nine play. I mean, that's those are almost double digit, you know, play drives. That You're is moving the that ball. Is, yeah. That is the epitome of maintaining the possession, moving the ball down. And for those all three to come up, you know, lame, to come up, you know, you know, empty points, it's easy to think that if if you're just watching and you go to the bathroom. You know, you think well, they're going to have a t- they're going to be kicking the PAT when I come out of the bathroom, and and if you could look at it that from a lens and say, well, that's 21 points. And so I just think there's multiple ways to look at this and say, I know the margin sucks, it really does, but just if if we have one good play at the goal line that we just keep going back to, then there's significantly more points on the board. Absolutely. What do you got so we, on uh, – what else you got on offense or give me a mini mini game ball? No, go ahead and do mini game ball. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm just going to give it to um, – there's a couple players that I was thinking of. But, you know, I, I'm going to have to just – I'm, I'm going to break the rules again. Um, I, I'm going to give this uh, nod to Devonta Smith. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's not mini game ball worthy. Um, but you know, he finished with six catches on the day and he wasn't top on the stat sheet, but he made some ridiculously difficult catches. Yeah, he did. And his catches were key with them sustaining the ball between the twenties. Yes. And, um, and, and, and we talked about, you know, we talked about the Oklahoma game and he had just come back from injury, et cetera. And, and so, of all the players, I was going to give it to Josh Jacobs, but I think Devonta Smith is more worthy um, of just how, to me, he made one of the biggest impacts uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I'm I'm going. Uh, I I love me some Devonta Smith, and and I th- I think that somehow he's underrated, um, I, you know, across the the receivers, and um, and I think he's a quality guy, and I look forward to him. You know, being back this next season, um, I'm going to go and and it's kind of hard to find. You know, who's the guy that threw a key block that kept the drive alive to score a touchdown? Because <laughs> we just talked about how we sort of petered out in the in the red zone, and so it's kind of hard to do that. And so, um, you know, one of the and and you've made a case for why maybe this guy shouldn't get a mini game ball, uh, and I can't argue with that. But I liked the um, the touchdown 
that uh, the, I like the play call. I like the design that uh, Hell Hinches um, scored. And unfortunately, we didn't get the PAT on that, and so that made that sort of sort of oblong. But um, I like the rollout. I was sitting next to some folks that um, that they were just local to the area. They're Cal fans, and um, and when Tua started to roll out, they they literally, you know, what the hell is he doing? And uh, and then, you know, boom, we were scoring a touchdown is what we were doing. And so I like that play call. It sort of plays to the aggressiveness of the Clemson line. And I like that we had that creativity in that moment, but we didn't have any more creativity down in the same part of the field. Go back and run that play again. Run it the other way or something. Uh, but I think that was an example of, hey, this is what a creative Alabama offense can do. Now we're going to put it away and try to not do that the rest of the day is what it felt like. Uh, but um, but I, I'm giving it to Hell Inches for uh, for that play because I think he leaked out, caught that pass. That was that was sort of the that was the height of the game. It felt like from an Alabama fan perspective. No, that's fair. That's fair. All right, so Tom, let's flip the field of defense. Uh, what jumped out to you uh, with Bama stop squad? You know, just like we were talking about uncharacteristic of Alabama's offensive side of the ball as far as like you know our our core roots is 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 running the ball um you know there there's this reminded me defensively of the Oklahoma game where I said we just sat back in a deep zone and we let and we let uh we let uh Kyle Murray you know scramble for all those yards well in this game you've got you've got limited depth You've got injuries, and so early on, you're not getting pressure to him with four guys. And so I think that we should have uh, – okay, I think a Kirby Smart or a Jeremy Pruitt, if they had been the defensive coordinators in this game, they would have sent the house, sent five, six, seven guys sometimes – knock this guy off his spot, make this freshman be uncomfortable, make him be scared like the Michigan game that we referenced a few years ago. Um, And this did not happen. Um, We sat back in a dime uh, most of the time in in a deep zone. We didn't even play man-to-man, and that's what allowed these big plays with these lapses. And so I didn't like the game plan. I I think you, you can't sit back and rush four. Uh, if you're not getting pressure with four, then you've got to do something different. And we didn't try anything different. No, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, and and I think we've sort of touched on the why. I think that, um, you know, not being able to get pressure with Isaiah Bugs uh, being a little bit hampered, which allowed uh, just frequent double teams on Quinnen and then Christian Miller being out. And so sometimes it's just subtle, um, you know, small-ish. Um, injuries or players being out that can, that can make a big impact. And so I think those two things contributed to us not being able to get any pressure. It was amazing. I had to go back and read the stat sheet twice just to make sure. Am I seeing this correct? There were no, no defensive players were credited with a hurry or a sack. And I, I found that, you know, to be a surprise. And I thought there were a couple of times just – watching the game recollection you know recollecting watching the game that we got some pressure on them but not nothing enough to warrant you know our hurry being credited 
And and I think, you know, that's a significant affecting the quarterback is something that Saban says all of the time. And when you think about football, you think of it, it is more than any other sport is a next man up mentality. And so for my money, why couldn't we try? Why couldn't the defensive? And this goes back to game plan. It's a question without an answer. Why could we not try to manufacture pressure with someone else? Maybe it's Anthony Jennings. Maybe Terrell Lewis gives you eight plays over the course of the of the whole game. Maybe Christian Miller, even with his injury, gives you three plays over the course of the game. Maybe Anoma, a true freshman, but the number one rated pass rusher out of you know out of uh, high school. You know, he can give you half a dozen plays. Maybe you sneak Dylan up and, and do something with him. There has to be a way that you can manufacture pressure to, like you said, move him off his point and at least register the thought. You know, how many times, and, and with Tua, the Alabama offense is another game, but how many times have we watched Alabama football and we say, you got to throw the deep ball, even if you don't hit it, to keep the defense honest? Well, we're going to blitz just to keep you honest, and and we're not going to make hay over it, and we don't have our all-star you know, pass rushers out there, but we're not going to take it off the table. And it just felt like we took it off the table. And I just, I get so wound up when I think about that because that's so damn frustrating. Bring in a, bring in your dime package only for the sake of having a safety blitz, you know, do something to manufacture pressure from somewhere. Well, and it seemed that that just wasn't on the table. Well, even take your comment you just made about bringing in the dime with Jared Maiden. Okay. There, there was, you know, there were some lapses in the back end of the secondary. So to your point, Jared's fast, right? Jared could have come in and, and just off the edge gone after the quarterback. See, here's what I find interesting is we talked about this in the Oklahoma game. We talked about this in the Georgia game, okay? I, we, on the offensive side of the ball, okay, we, we made the comment that on the second play of the game, Clemson brought a safety off the edge, jumped up into his face with his arms both up in the air, and Tua had to throw a perfect pass between his arms. And he only did that because he's Tua. We talked about on the very next play where he threw the pick six, the safety came off the other edge and jumped up in his face, right? Mm -hmm. So here's Clemson on the second and the third play of the game getting Tua uncomfortable. But yet we didn't do that. And manufacturing it, manufacturing yeah. it. It's not the yeah. all-star defensive front. It's it's manufactured in other ways. It's coming but, from the unexpected did, angle. But they did it on the second and the third play of the game. Okay, yes. and so and so to your point about bringing in Anoma. Okay, Anoma got a few plays at the end of the game when it didn't matter anymore. Right. Right. Okay. Now the other thing that I that I wanted to talk about earlier, but I wanted to say for defense. Okay, mm -hmm. this is where the depth got us. Okay, we talked at the beginning of the season that Mac Wilson's got to stay healthy. Dylan Moses has got to stay healthy. We didn't know Quentin Williams was going to do what Quentin Williams did, right? We were banking on Isaiah Bugs and Raekwon Davis and Anthony Jennings to do all this stuff, right? Well, guess what? I think the other huge loss in this game was Christian Miller getting banged up against Oklahoma. Yes. Christian Miller went out for the coin toss. But I went and looked for the first nine, ten plays of the game. I didn't see Christian Miller. Now, I didn't go back and watch every single play looking for number 47, but I don't think he got many snaps at all, okay? And and to your point, Terrell Lewis, um, who we know has great talent off the edge, um, he, he made a huge sack in the, in the Sugar Bowl last year against Clemson, 
right? Yes. And so not having Terrell Lewis. So so my point about the depth issue is you've got Dylan Moses who's playing the whole game. And, you know, last year when Dylan Moses wasn't a starter and you brought him in to blitz the quarterback, it was successful because he'd come in for eight or ten plays and he'd be fresh. Well, I'm sorry. How fresh are you going to – because they did try to do Dylan Moses some. But how fresh are you going to be rushing the passer when you're in on every play? And so, and so I think two of the biggest losses this team had was Terrell Lewis and Christian Miller. Because had they been able to come in on third down to relieve Isaiah Bugs and relieve Anthony Jennings and, and bring some pressure from some other players, I, I agree with you totally. I think on third down, we should have seen a Noma and we should have seen a couple other guys and just and, or or else or else bring in LeBrian Ray and Phil Darian Mathis and Johnny Dwight, bring them in more on first and second down so that Anthony Jennings is more fresh on third down. Yep. You see what I'm saying? Like, like be, be, I don't want to say be smart enough, but you know, Bugs is hurt. You know that, you know, you know, you, you, you know, coming into this game that your best chance to get pressure is you're not going to have Christian Miller. You know it, but you haven't told the papers. You know, Trail Lewis isn't coming back because he's going to not blow his red shirt. You know, Bugs is hurt. You know, your best chance to get to the passer is Anthony Jennings and Raquan Davis. You also know Clemson has, an, has, an, has a veteran offensive line. Now, granted, they didn't play anybody in the ACC, but they still had some veteran offensive linemen. And so this, this is a bad formula for Alabama. Lack of depth, lack of pass rushers against a six-foot-five quarterback who can look over the, the, the line, right, look over the line of scrimmage, and you just let him sit back there and pick you apart. And so yeah. I just I, – I, I'm like you. I cringe every time I think about this because I think had we ran the ball on offense more and had we gone after this quarterback, this would have been drastically different. Yeah, I think you know Terrell Lewis, and is it's just even more mind-boggling. Uh, you know, he indicated he had been practicing. He indicated that in interviews that he thought he was ready to, you know, to get some run. He hasn't played all season, and he could have played in up to four games and still redshirted. So he would have even been able to get some snaps in and still redshirted. Uh, I mean, he could have played every snap in the darn game and won MVP of the game and still been able to redshirt this season. So there was zero risk of him, you know, losing, using a red shirt. And that just, it just, and I don't say that to, you know, make any other point no, than a, just how point. inexplicable yeah. is it that, that he couldn't have found the field with a map. And so, and you're also in a situation because like you said, the dinged up players and, and, you know, I'm kind of repeating myself a little bit, but the, the whole concept of manufacturing depth, if it's not there, then you can either, Oh, woe is me. We don't have the depth or figure out how, you insert players to get a playoff here and there. And so Dylan Moses, frankly, playing more plays than he has um, all season. Um, and and then you try to put him out there on the, on the edge. Um, and he's just dog tired. Put someone out there for five or six plays so that he can get his breath back uh, and be more effective on the other, on the, on sort of more of his traditional uh, plays. I just think there was an opportunity and it doesn't take much if, and, and again, I don't know the medical situation on Terrell. I just, what, what the indication was that he was healthy, similar with Christian Miller. He was indicating that he was healthy. Again, I don't know the medicals, but if you get, if you get eight snaps between the two of them, that's eight more or eight less rather than someone else was getting. Dude, no I'm sorry. I got to interrupt you for a second. And those eight plays 
would have been key on that third and nine and third and 14 when they had those two big explosive plays. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> when you would put them out there is, you know, a second long or a third and long where you're trying to, we are trying to affect the quarterback. You're trying to insert some disruption. Um, um, and I think it could have thrown off the tackle. Um, if you see that guy coming in, like, Oh, this is their big pass rusher. Um, and and so you you can make you can make a tackle antsy. You can get an offsides. There's a lot of different ways that it could impact the play. Um, and you know, for my money, especially when you just feel it starting to slip away, you gotta you gotta take that risk. And I know I know Saban says I'd rather know my my floor. And if I know my and I look, I agree with him. Um, I, I want the guy who can run all the plays rather than the guy who knows half the plays and might give up a big play. Okay, I get that. However, this game's starting to slip away. If we're going to fake a field goal, <laughs> we can take a, a similar risk on a pass rush. And so put in Anoma. He may not know the, the playbook. If, if He may not know, you know, if he has a drop in the coverage and all that. Just put him out there and say, sick him. You know, the, the what is it, the, the Tim Williams role. Just, I, I'm not going to ask you to drop in coverage. I'm not going to ask you to do, you're out there to do one thing, sick them. And I'm only going to let you do that a handful of times this game. But it's, I, you know, letting him do it five or six times is is no more or less risky than running a fake field goal. And we'll talk about special teams in a minute. But, or, uh, well, but, but you're right, man. What's so frustrating about it, though, is let's just quickly go back because, you know, this is all just very frustrating to talk about. But let's go back to your point, right? We They've punted twice to start the game. It's now third and 14 at the at their 21-yard line. And I went back and watched this play a couple times, but it was very painstaking, okay? They had, they, they had a stack formation uh, out wide to the right and to the left. We were in a dime. We had Mac Wilson in the game, in the box, in the middle. We had four guys given pressure. We had six DBs. So we had two corners, David, over both of we had we had four corners over their um I'm sorry, we had three corners over three of the wide receivers. Mm-hmm. We had Xavier McKinney over the fourth wide receiver. Okay. And then we had uh Jared Maiden and we had um uh, Jared Maiden and Deontay Thompson, you know, playing uh deep center field on the dime. Well, guess what? When they scored that touchdown of 64 yards on third and 14, they sent the two wide receivers to the right, right down the hash. And literally, because we were playing a stupid dime, Savion Smith, he's covering the sideline. Well, neither one of them came to the sideline, so he didn't do anything. Xavier McKinney was covering the, the slant. He sat down right there. He didn't go anywhere. Yep. And so now you've got two wide receivers running at Deontay Thompson. When I went back and looked at it, I was like, what in the world happened? Well, guess what? They both ran side by side down the hash. Uh, one, one, you know, one does a comeback route. Deontay Thompson bites on it, but he's got two guys running at him. He can't yep. cover but he one of them. He can't cover both. He covers one. The other guy keeps running, and now suddenly Savion Smith's like, oh, wait a minute. I, I got to go get him. So, so not only did we not bring pressure, 
but we just sit there and run a lazy zone coverage out of the dime. It was so frustrating. I mean, that, that was like the stupidest play you could have run on third and 14. Yes. What else, uh, what else on uh, defense stood out to you or you want to hit mini game ball? I, I know, can put myself into a lather and that's fun for no one. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm with you. Um, you know, I, I guess the other thing that I will quickly point out because it was equally frustrating is, you know, Right. Well, I, I guess I do want to talk on the big pass reception real quick, um, on, you know, on the Savion Smith play. Yep. You know, we talked about after the game that we saw him later in the game, you know, in the huddle, et cetera. You know, that was a very freak situation where, um, you know, Kirk Herbstreit even talked about it after the game. Deontay Thompson's got to make that play there. And he's made a lot of good plays this year. Yep. But if you're giving help over the top there and your cornerback falls down, and and by the way, that was a third down play as well. Yep. Okay. Dude, you can't let him get by you. You've just got to make the play. And so and so I just want your thoughts real quick on that freak play because here's another that you know, that's the drive they scored on a three play drive. And see, both of those, those are two easy touchdowns that they got that they should have never gotten. And so just just your thoughts on that, because because once again, once again, we're sitting here, you know, it seemed like too much of the game, I guess. We were in a deep cover two, like we did against Oklahoma. And we were scared about getting beaten over the top when what Alabama does so well is they get in your face, they play press coverage, and they have, you know, and they go after the quarterback. I I guess that's what I want to say real quick to you is that is that what was different about this game versus when Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart was the defensive coordinators, and I'm not blaming Tosh, but I'm just saying, regardless of who the talent was, what we're known for is we're going to put our cornerbacks in press man-on-man coverage. We're sending the house at you, and you're going to have to make the perfect throw in two seconds or or, or we're getting off the field. We didn't yeah, do we, that in this game. Yeah, we were playing We were playing not to get beat rather than to stop them. Um, you know, we were playing We were playing not to lose rather than to win with, with our secondary. And it could be a function of, you know, it could be a function of a couple of things. Savion Smith maybe is not as good as we thought. Uh, it could be that, you know, Patrick Sertain had a rough day uh, a week ago. And so we're, we're going to be careful with him. Uh, we're really strong at safety, but, you know, maybe less so at the, at the corners. Um, so um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that I have a strong answer on that other than you're right. We were playing uncharacteristic uh, and, and, and to think that, Hey, we're not going to try to get pressure up front. We're going to play back and then play back. You know, we're not going to give pressure up front and then play sort of back in the secondary. And golly, those two combination of things leaves a lot of open field. Um, you know, it's not like we were playing, playing a passive defense. aggressive on offense, on defense. Yeah, it's like we were playing a prevent defense. You know what I'm yes. saying? One other quick thing I want to ask you about in that Oklahoma game when Patrick Sertain got beat, you know, several times, you know, after the game, we talked about we don't ever play matchups with our corners right? Mm-hmm. You stay where you are, right? If you're a boundary corner, that's where you stay. Mm-hmm. And so just give me your thoughts on this real quick, because obviously Savion Smith is getting picked on in this game. They chose to like that matchup. They didn't even really go after Patrick Sertain, okay? Mm-hmm. But we do have Shy Carter, who's played really well this year, right? And so why not? I just want your take on it if you were defensive coordinator. Why do you think in that situation when a team is just picking on one guy like it was Sertain and in this game it was Savion Smith, why don't we just say, screw it, 
we're going to sit here and put Shy Carter on on him because we're tired of you know we're we're tired of Ross killing us here. I mean, why why do we not switch our corners instead of just letting the team just go after the same guy over and over again? I don't know that we have. Um, I I don't know that Alabama has a shutdown corner, and so I don't know that that you take your best corner and their best receiver and then just take them out of the game. Um, you, you think of like an NFL team, that's sort of an NFL thing to do, right? Is you take your, your best on their best. And, you know, if he wins a couple, Hey, you know, that's going to happen. But, you know, for the by and large, we're going to take them out of the game. I don't know that we have a shutdown corner that does that. And so it's more about the system, the defensive system, rather than it is, an individual player taking down an, an individual player. But here's the trick, though. The system only works when all the mechanics of the system are working. So if we're not getting pressure up front, then then the system in the secondary is not going to work either. Um, and so I think I think I think it's those two things that we don't have a shutdown corner that we can just say, OK, he's not catching another ball today. And we don't have we weren't getting the pressure up front. And so the secondary suck, suffered. Right, right. Which even seems like more reasons to, you know, to go after. Go manufacture the pressure, right? Yeah. Because we're getting eaten up. So somewhere we got to light a fuse under this thing, and we, if we're sucking in the back end just by itself, then we got to make something up front work. And and we have to. And if it's a little bit of a risk, then it's no more risk than doing nothing and letting this continue to happen. No, absolutely. Look, there's one more painful play I want to talk about because I'm sure people at home and and who got to go to the game. You know, after touch after Clemson got that big uh, play on the at the start of the game, like we just talked about there down the hash, they had first and ten at the seventeen. And you and I've watched a lot of football, okay. And I don't know if I can remember a time when Alabama now the other team has the ball first and ten on the fifteen twenty type yard line, and they score on the next play on a run. Yeah. Okay. That's not Alabama football. Yep. So I had to go back and watch that painful play too, and be like, why did this happen? Well, dude, even on that play, we were in a dime at the 17. We've got Jared Maiden in the game, and he's deep in the game. We we blitz McKinney off the edge, who therefore can't can't get out to the edge on um, on the running back. Jared Maiden he bites inside, misreads the play. He's the guy that's got to come up and make the play. Instead of making the play. He gets in Mac Wilson's way. Mac Wilson can't even go sideline to sideline because he's cut him off. And Jared Maiden missed the play. Now, I'm not mad at Jared Maiden. I'm saying you've got one of your less experienced guys in the game yep. in a dime on first and ten at the seventeen. You see what I'm saying? Yep. You you took you took Dylan Moses out of the game on that play to bring in Jared Maiden. Well, if he's in the game in that deep cover two at the seventeen, <laughs> he's got to make the play. Yep. And and so that's why they scored the touchdown. And that that's same same type of frustration. All right, give me give me your mini game ball. Well, you know, I was just going to ask: Is there a mini game ball in defense? And and um, uh, it's harder to find in games like this. It it just really is. Um, I'm going to go. Um, and and this, you know, when a backup guy who's not expected to play, you know, comes in immediately and um, and you know and performs adequately to, to me a lot of times that's that's worthy of of at least an honorable mention you know game ball and so under that sort of guys I'm going Josh Job uh the secondary only had 
just a couple of pass deflections on the day. Uh, and Josh coming in on, you know, sort of in an unexpected injury type situation, uh, had one of them. And, um, you know, the secondary was sort of getting chewed up all night. And so it'd be easy to find a place where, you know, Josh, you know, he wasn't an all-star, but, uh, but he came in and uh, in, in relief and I thought, you know, acquitted himself, you know, on, on par. And, uh, and I, and he's a true freshman. And I think, I think this is a guy that um, highly recruited, I think, you know, getting on the field, getting some live and some live shots in a game like this, I think is only going to bode him well um, as we start shaking out the secondary for next year. So um, my mini game ball goes to, for a lot of different sort of parts and pieces of reasons, um, I'm giving my mini game ball to Josh Job. Well, and to be fair to Josh Job, when he came into the game, uh, late in that game when Clemson was salting the game away, Justin Ross made a couple just, you know, ridiculous acrobatic catches that yep. that I, I don't think I'd have I, I don't very low percentage plays that were made that um that that I don't think was Job's fault kind of deal. Right. There there right. wasn't a whole lot he could have done about that kind of deal. Yep. So, um, you know, like you said, I, I think it's I, I think it's really tough to to find anybody. Um, you know, I, I'm going to look for, um, I, I'm probably going to give the nod to Quentin Williams, uh, okay. because Quentin Williams ended up with seven tackles on the day, excuse me, four tackles on the day. He finished with uh one and a half tackles for a loss. Um, you know, him and him and Anthony Jennings, uh, I think they both kind of played their tail off. Uh, I think if some of the other team, I think if the rest of the defense would have played with their, their sense of urgency, um, I, I think this would have made a difference. Um, you know, Anthony Jennings had one pass deflect with three and a half tackles for loss, and Quentin Williams had another tackle and a half for loss. So the two of them had five of the six tackles for loss for the entire team. And so uh, I, I think both of those guys I just want to give a nod to, um, especially since, uh, you know, Quentin Williams is a is a one and done. Yep. No, I'm with you. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to special teams. What, um, I guess there's one thing, certainly. It was a but, stupid uh, call, stupid call. <laughs> you don't do a misfield. You don't do a fake field goal there. Um, you, you know, Saban, this is what I love about Saban. He took credit for it in the post game. He said it was a bad call. He said, if it would have worked, it wouldn't, you know, it, it, it was, it was a bad call because the play didn't work. He took ownership for the play. Now, is that tongue in cheek though? Is that tongue though? Is that wait a second? Is that tongue in cheek though? Because he always says, you know, things are evaluated only if they work, not rather it's whether it's good design. I I read that as just straight tongue in cheek. That he's saying, well, it didn't work, so everyone thinks it was a bad call. So yes, I'll take responsibility for a bad call. That's like that's not taking you know, I mean, you know what I mean? That's I think he's just I think that was just like just I don't want to talk about this stupid call. Everyone's gonna say it's a bad call because it didn't work. I don't agree with that philosophy, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have that conversation. That's how I took it. That's fair, okay. I don't think for the down and distance with the other team sitting lined up in their base defense, I don't like the call, okay. Yeah. And so right there, I think that you are. Um, I don't want to say. Well, I think he did it because he felt like he needed to get a spark. Yes. I get that. 
but it's fourth and six at the 22. Now, when I went back and watched the replay a couple times, what's really crazy about it is it was there. Yes. It was absolutely there. And what frustrates me there, and I'm going to call him out, his name is Chris Owens. Yes. Chris Owens missed the block. Well, he acknowledged Chris Owens, Chris, Owen, Chris Owens acknowledged it. He said, it's my fault it didn't work. But, dude, I'm going to tell you, all he had to do was just was just literally just get in front of Christian Wilkins yep. for a second or so. Like, like just, I mean, like fall in front of him and the play works. Yep. And so – so, so I do I like the call? No, I, I want a field goal there, and I want to get some points on the board, and I want to I want to basically have um, a little momentum um, at that point. So, you know, at, at that point, you've you've driven down the field in 13 plays, but if you do a field goal there, it is now uh, a two-score game. And now you come out and you you try to you know get a get a three and out on defense. Yeah. But technically speaking, it was there. No, and I and I feel about the same way. It's you know technically it was there. It it could have it should have worked. I still don't know that it, even if it works, um, you know I even if it works, I'm not sure it's a good play call. Um. And we've talked about that before, uh, different circumstances. But I think even if it works, it's not a good play call. They're in their they're in their kick safe, so they're essentially not quite defense, but you know, but they're looking for a fake. You know, there was a pregame or sort of a, a you know sort of they do this all this on site stuff, and there was an interview where they had you know Dabo and and Saban together, and and uh, you know Chris Fowler was sort of hosting it and like, well, what would you like to ask you know the other coach? And and Dabo just sort of kidded and said. Said, said, I don't want to see any of this fake kick stuff, you know, and and they were just, you know, having, you know, conversation. But for him to say that, he's thinking about that. And um, and 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 then, you know, we miss a field goal or we miss the PAT. And so, you know, they know that we struggle with with kicking. And so it's not unreasonable to think, you know, this is one of those textbook moments where they might run a fake. And there we go. And so even even though we were a block away from it working, um, I'm sort of out saving in the logic, right? Even though we were a block away from it working, I don't think it was a good play call just anyways because they were looking for it. Now, if it works, I'm happy that it works, but I still don't think it's a good play call. And so I am firmly entrenched that it's not a good play call, whether it works or not. And Saban says he didn't want to have the conversation is how I interpret that. And he's, you know, I think that, and and had it worked, Everyone that's saying it, with the exception of me, everyone that says that it was a bad play call would say it was genius if it worked. And so I get well, Stephen's point. I just don't think it's a good play call, anyways. That's that's fair. And and we talked about going into the half when you had three timeouts and you were trying to get and fill, you know, get some points on the board and you just yeah. kind of gave up, right? But then you come and do this call, which is yes. exactly the opposite, right? And it's fourth and six. It's not like fourth and one. Exactly. And so the other thing I'll tell you is not only was it a bad play call, even if it would have worked, is you got to look at the plays before that, man. And I'm sorry, you you had first and 10. Here's the thing. You had run the ball down their throat on that drive. You had first and 10 at the 26. You throw a four-yard pass to Devonta Smith. Then on second and six, you throw the ball again. Yep. Okay, and 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 he fumbles the ball, and thank goodness he recovers it. So then on third and six, you throw the ball. 
So here you had first and 10 at the 26-yard line, and you had thrown the ball three times in a row. And so I think there should have been better play calls up into that situation. You wouldn't even have been in a fourth and six. I mean, dude, you have a 13-play drive where you had only had one third down, one third down, down the field. You get to the 26 and you become pass happy? That's just stupid. It is. No better do I say it. What would uh, you think of, uh, uh, you know, Mike Bernier had two points, average 50, uh, long of 55, so he had a 45-yarder as well. Um, it, it didn't make a difference in this game, but, I mean, I'm glad he had a good game. Sure. No, no, absolutely. Um, you know, um, going into this game, we knew we couldn't punt the ball very much, right? <clears throat> and uh, we know we couldn't afford to. And uh, so, so – Thank goodness there was only two opportunities. He made the best of, of what he did have. Um, you know, Clemson, Clemson, you know, they put they put all the kickoffs in the end zone, right? They didn't let Jacobs, you know, except for one, I guess. They didn't let Jacobs do anything. They kept the ball away from Waddle. You know, they they won the special teams game. Yes. And, 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 and you and I said at the beginning of the season that, you know, at the beginning of the season, we said this team's going to have to outscore people. And then suddenly the next thing you know, you know, the defense started playing better, et cetera. Well, unfortunately, you know, special teams was a factor in this football game. Yep. So um, so let's do something uh, a little different. Let's, uh, let, let's do uh, – and let's hit these pretty quick. Um, just, you know, this is more of an off-season type topic. But, um, you know, we're, we're just sort of in this transition phase with players and coaches. Um, so we've got a, uh, you know, give me like your first sort of immediate thoughts on these. We've got uh, juniors, uh, Irv Smith, Jonah Williams, Josh Jacobs, Deontay Thompson, Savion Smith, and uh, and just recently Mac Wilson uh, announcing those six fellas uh, juniors are going pro and Raekwon, uh, Raekwon Davis and uh uh, Trevion Diggs have announced that they're staying. Uh, what sort of jumps out at you? Uh, jumps out at you about those eight players? You know, Mac Wilson. I was hard on him in the Oklahoma game, but you know, if he's being told we're gonna, you know, we're gonna play a, a zone scheme, you know, maybe he was running what he was being told to do. Uh, Mac Wilson has has done a lot of great things for this program, given the fact that they had limited depth this year with just Dylan Moses and Mac Wilson, and you lose one of those guys, I think that's a huge loss to this team. Um, Irv Smith, I think it's another huge loss. Yes. Um, um, you know, you don't have a lot of depth behind him and Hale. And, um, and, and he has a, he, he has a skill set that he has provided a lot of, uh, a lot of the two headed tight end, which you just don't see nowadays of the pass catching and the run blocking tight end. And so I think he's a huge loss. And then I think Jonah Williams is a tremendous loss. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the depth of this line. The fact that the fact that Lester Cotton stepped up as a senior uh, when Deontay Brown uh, was unable to make the trip or didn't make the trip. You know, there was a drop off with Lester Cotton. Let's yep. just call it what it is. OK, he tried his best, but there was a drop off there. And so currently on this football team, the number six man who was a senior on the offensive line was a drop off. And so losing Jonah Williams, uh, which, you know, I can't be mad at him for going, but I think it's a huge loss. It is. Now, you know, some of these guys are 
it's a business decision and they should go. Um, you know, I'm not surprised that Irv is going. I mean, he, he might be one of the ha- highest drafted, you know, players um, on our roster. Uh, Deontay Thompson, I'm not surprised. Irv Smith, uh, you know. You said, you said Deontay Thompson. You meant, you meant Jonah Williams, right? Uh, well, I, Deontay I just, Thompson, we don't, we don't know yet. So. Well, no, he's, in, he's announced. He's going. Oh, he announced today. Yeah, okay. All yeah. right. So he's going. Uh, Jonah Williams is not a surprise. Josh Jacobs, being a running back, I'm not altogether surprised. Um, Irv Smith, you talked about him sort of being the two-way tight end. I, I think and I think he's the best tight end we've had under the Saban era. Uh, and if you want to sort of emphasize that by being the best sort of true tight end, then that's that's fine. But I think uh, I'm not surprised, but, you know, man, what a weapon uh, he's he's really been. Mac, I'm not that surprised by. Probably the biggest surprises is two of the biggest surprises, you know, Raycon, Raquan Davis staying. Um, he didn't have the burst out year that everyone was kind of expecting uh, for him. And with this sort of wave of, uh, I mean, our other two offensive, our defensive linemen are going. And with the wave of, of um, yeah, I didn't have Quinn and Williams on my list, but uh, with the wave of sort of Clemson guys and, and all, I, I could see there being sort of a log jam at, at DL. And so Raekwon wanting to stay, I don't, that doesn't really surprise me. Savion Smith, and, and I, I'm about to say probably the ugliest thing that I've said on on one of our podcasts. Um, on one hand, I'm surprised that he's going. On the other hand, I'm not. Um, I read an article about him, and and I don't know if it was after a game that that he had a good game or or he was just made available to the media or, or whatnot. But the uh, you know he was sort of in the wave of articles. Uh, one week and and um, and they sort of broke down, you know, his his time at Alabama and his, his history. Like, how did how did he get here? And, you know, he started his career at at LSU. And what and and so that are it would the article was meant to sort of a puff piece, build, piece building him up. And I read the article and I was like, man, if I were him, I would be embarrassed. Um, and, and it went on to say that as a freshman at LSU, he earned a starting job. That's not nothing. That is significant to earn a, a starting job as a true freshman at, at LSU. And it sort of talked about the narrative that um, there were a couple of players that got hurt and it opened up an opportunity and he earned a starting job. And and at the conclusion of that season, he realized that he needed to leave, which is kind of counterintuitive um, that he saw the other depth on the roster and the returning players, and that he felt that he needed to leave. And so the ugliest thing I've probably said on this podcast is I think it's his DNA as a quitter. Um, he won the starting – I can't say this enough. He won the starting job at LSU and saw enough competition that it caused him to leave the team. Um, and in here at Alabama, he wins the starting position, and he sees enough competition – with Trayvon Diggs coming back, whoever the other guys on the roster, uh, Patrick Sertain, he's probably not going to beat out uh, Shy Carter for you know the money, um, or I'm sorry, the star. And so, but and, and so he's he's I use the word quitting. He's leaving. And so I think he's he's the player that should not. He's the player that should come back. Uh, who knows how he's going to play out? Trayvon hasn't started the the position uh, you know for a full season in his career. Um, you know, certainly he's better than Maiden. Uh, he's already proven that because he's at, he's at the starting corner shot, shot, and so he could certainly start at the at the money. And I just think there's a world of opportunity for him to stay and get better 
And it just feels like he's quitting. He feels like he's running from competition and and to what go to the NFL. Um, I don't know. I'm not trying to be ugly, but I see that one. And, and that is a head scratcher. Well, go to the NFL when 1% of the players who leave college, you know, make an NFL starting roster. That's what I'm saying. I will scratch my yeah. head ball trying to figure that one out. All right. So I agree with you. Um, and uh, I, I think you've kind of covered that well. I, I don't want to – there were so many players, unfortunately, that you rattled off that you have to count the number. And this is what we talked about yet. Here we are losing all these players again early. Um, but, but I do want to just talk about Josh Jacobs very quickly, and I know this has been a long show. I want the listeners to go back, even though it's painful. I want them to watch an unpainful play in the second half on Alabama's second drive, I want them to watch the fourth play from scrimmage. It is a second and 10 at the Clemson 36. And it's where Tua threw a 16-yard pass to Josh Jacobs. And I want you all to, to look at that to just see what he meant to this football program this year. Because on that play, David, which I'm sure you remember, he was turned inside. And Tua was scrambling to his left out of the pocket and he just looks at Josh Jacobs. He doesn't signal or anything because he's on the run and he's left-handed and, and he's able to communicate to Josh Jacobs that I'm about to throw this on your outside shoulder yes. and Josh Jacobs in a full stride turns and makes a phenomenal freaking catch. He's made a couple of these this year, but just absolutely phenomenal, which is why he's going to play on Sundays. And uh, just go back and watch that one play because it was awesome. I agree. I still say, and I said this after the Oklahoma game, if if there's a football guy out there, let let Kansas City draft him <laughs> because because he he will be phenomenal in an Andy Reid system. Um, let's hit um, just again, just real quick. Uh, what's your level of of surprise, not surprise, concern, not lack of concern? over some of the coaching turnover. Josh Gaddis, wide receiver, Brent uh, Brent Key, offensive line, Dan Enos, quarterback, coach, and Mike Loxley, offensive coordinator. Um, what's your thought of uh, those guys vacating the building? You know, man, um, I, I think some of those uh, – obviously, I think some of those are, are, are bigger than others. Um, I, I – um, I think probably the I think the I think probably the biggest thing I would say there uh, the the one that probably jumps out to me is Enos yep. um, because I see I see what Enos has done in one year you know having a quarterback coach is having a quarterback coach who's not the offensive coordinator is is new at Alabama and I think that that he has meant a lot this year to both Tua and Jalen and so I think that that you know him him probably stepping in as the office of coordinator but now doing the same thing at Miami I'll have to go see what he's getting paid at Miami versus what Alabama would have paid um but I but I I wonder behind the scenes if I'd be interested in how that transaction went so it's kind of like when Kirby was going to leave to go to Georgia and and you know Saban got a pay raise you got to be careful there because Dan Enos hadn't been here as long as Kirby Smart has uh, but I think of all the coaches, I, I think that's the one that's going to sting the most. I agree, and that's the one. That's the one that kind of I, I won't say it bugs me the most. It it does. Uh, I don't. I, you know, Josh Gaddish going to get the offensive coordinator uh, position at Michigan reeks of desperation by Michigan to me. Uh, Brent Key 
I, he's been here uh, a while. Uh, the fact that that uh, he got the call to to go back to um, Georgia Tech uh, with a new regime where he played, I kind of get that. Loxley going back to to um, Maryland, I get that. Enos is the one that's a head scratcher because you assume that he was going to get the OC position at Alabama, so it's a lateral move to go to Miami. Miami is digging themselves out of a ditch, whereas Alabama, he knows the talent. Like he knows the talent. There's a lot of talent coming back. In in a year, he could ride that Alabama offensive coordinator position into a head coaching job. And 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 whatever the differential, a couple hundred thousand dollars between the OC at Miami and the OC at at Alabama doesn't compare to the four or five million dollars he could have gotten as a head coach next year. Um, and I don't think he gets that one year at Miami, but he gets it one more year at Alabama. And so that's the that's the head scratcher for me. Um, and then, of course, that's got the the interwebs uh, all in, up in arms because the leading talk is is Sark coming back uh, or potentially Butch Davis or but, sorry, Butch Jones is the offensive coordinator. And I don't think the Alabama faithful would be too pleased with either of those guys. Um but I think we break that down in another show. But I welcome if you have any immediate thoughts on that. Well, apparently, uh, apparently the the word out on on Steve Sarkeesian is he is coming back. Yeah, I mean, cur- currently that that's the current story. And so, um, I mean, gosh, I mean, I, I I don't think I like that call. I'm uh, mixed on it. Right? I've got. I got to defer to Saban like when Lane Kiffin came, right? Uh, you know, Steve Steve had to come in in, in a in a short, you know, situ- he had to come in in a tough situation um when when he was asked to, you know, to to be the offensive coordinator for the one you know for the, you know, biggest game of the year. Obviously, you know, the guy's got a good pedigree, you know, on the West Coast. Um so you have to defer to Saban there. Um but it is interesting after he's gotten let go from the Falcons. Yeah, I agree. I think it was genius. You know, I remember uh, you know, we were kind of walking out of the game in in Dallas against USC a couple of years ago when the news was breaking that that we were going to bring him in. I thought that was genius, um, and I thought there was a certain knife turning in the timing of us doing that. Um, I don't know. I consider that genius this time. Uh, but at the same time, there's a part of me that says, hey, it's not it can't be that bad. I mean, the guy hasn't forgotten to coach. He's always been a good coach. Um, let's give this a minute and see how it plays out. Um, and, and and there was just been a report that Butch Jones is, is on a flight to as we're recording this on a flight to, to Maryland. So we don't know if he's going to get the Maryland job uh, or or get a job at Maryland or not. I'm, I wouldn't be opposed to him being the offensive coordinator. I still think and, and his name is kind of sullied from his time at Tennessee. But um, if you go back to what he what he was doing at Cincinnati and why Tennessee wanted him, um, I don't think he's forgotten that stuff either. So I think between the two of them, um, I'd like to have both of them on the staff in some capacity, even if that's an analyst. Um, neither of them are going to win popularity awards, but um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to having both of them on the staff, both of them former head coaches. Um, I wish if I could pick a name. Um, Chip Long, the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, who wanted to come here last year, he's out of Birmingham, uh, has, has kind of taken his name out of the out of the running. And I think that he would probably be at the top of Saban's list. Um, 
after after Enos lists and so after uh, Enos left. So uh, I'll say this though, I think Jalen Hurts and and I'll sort of end on this. I think Jalen Hurts, uh, who's looking at other schools, looking to transfer, completely understand that. I think he, I think I think it's hands down he ought to go to one of two schools. He ought to go to uh, Maryland with Mike Loxley, or he ought to go to Miami with Dan Enos. And there's no if, and, or buts other places. He ought to go to one of those two places uh, where they know him, especially Enos, right? Because I think Enos made him what he is today um, in terms of being able to throw the ball. And so I think he he ought to go to one of those two places, and and then that sort of be it. But but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Any no, uh, Any closing thoughts? On that or, yeah, or just, other, you know, just um, obviously frustrating the way the season turned out. Um, but I think given the fact that you lost as many players as you did, you lost six DBs and on the defensive side, you know, you lost six, you lost your whole sec- secondary on, on defense besides other key players. Um, you lost so many talented players on last year's team. You come in with all these new starters. Um, and you play in the best conference in the country and you run the table and you, you lose one game. Like you, you said it best at the beginning of the show, man, we, we, we've got to say, Hey, there's, you know, there's all these other schools that would give anything to be in this game. And yep. so, um, uh, I, I do think that, that I, I do think this is going to bring some hunger back to this program. I'm not saying they're not hungry. But I think this is going to 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 set the edge a little bit with the players that are returning uh, for for next year's uh, season. Yep. You know, I think 20 years from now, we're going to look back at sort of the win and and a lot of things we sort of forget. But in 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we're going to look back at the win loss records, the year over year win loss records for this era, and we're going to say, man, I hope I enjoyed that as much as that looked like that was fun. You're going to look back and see, damn, 14 and 1 and 12 and 1 and 13 and 1 and national title after national title and recruiting class after recruiting class. And you're going to say, man, I hope I enjoyed that as much as I should have, because on paper, that looks like that was a wild ride. And and damn it, I just think sometimes we just need to, like, slap ourselves in the face and say, this is as fun as it is. This is as fun as it gets as a football fan. And I get like the moment now sucks, but like this era is as fun as it gets. It doesn't get any more fun than this. Um, well, well, let me let me understate. Let me, well, I was trying to say let me let me say this this way. Going into this game, Alabama had won five titles in the last nine right. years, yep. and and four other titles have been won by different schools. So now Alabama can say they've won five titles in the last ten years. Guess what? It could have been more. Should have been six or seven. But they've still won five in the last. Still half the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, like you know, in the moment, like we could we can point at the shoulda, woulda, couldas, but man, we're gonna look back and say, damn, half the time. Man, I right. will tell you real quick. I will tell you real quick. When my despondent son was gonna be prepared to go to school when he got back, I didn't know what 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 I didn't know what teams were supported in his second grade classroom, and I said, if anybody says anything to you about this game. You just say, yes, Clemson just won their third national championship, but Alabama has 17. And I said, second graders understand the number 17 is bigger than three. Yep. That's true. I'm going to do one last thing thing to sort of clear us out and sort of flush out this, the last part of the season. We got a couple, uh, a couple of more five-star reviews. And so I'm going to, I'm going to roll these out. 
Uh, Bill Roll Tide gives us a five-star review. Go deep with the tide. Uh, he says, I've listened to this podcast for five years, and it is still my favorite go-to analysis of Crimson Tide football. No national analyst, journalist, reporter comes close. In fact, my guess is that they cheat and listen to this one for their research. Well, then again, probably not, since they come nowhere close to this informed and insightful analysis that Tom and Dave provide. Thanks, guys. Uh, keep us uh, keep up the good work, uh, Bill. And then we've got uh, thanks for listening, Bill, for five years, man. We I'm appreciate it. You. Um, I agree with that. Thank you, uh, and and the kind words that go with that. And then uh, this one's meta. Uh, this is Geek Box saying, great podcast, no, yeah. <laughs> so this is good. I like this. He says, I like them all. Uh, great podcast. They definitely do a fantastic job keeping it honest while still showing their love for the Crimson Tide. And Diz77, who gave us a review uh, previously, I 100% agree with your observation. I thought I was the only one who wondered why they always begin their counter argument or agreement with no, yeah, or no, man, you're right. Laugh out loud. Only thing that would make this show even better is that it drops at an inconsistent time during the week after games. I find myself always refreshing the podcast in anticipation of new episodes. Keep up the fine job. Roll Tide. My first podcast review ever. So fantastic. Thank you, Geekbox. Uh, hey, we do this sort of as a, a hobby on the side. So I know we're a little bit inconsistent. Uh, I feel like we've been more consistent this year, but still inconsistent overall. Um, and uh, yeah, we do the no yeah. And so I, I, I think it's cool that his comment referenced someone else's comment. And they both kind of think the same thing. But they both endure our... our um, our foibles and uh, enjoy the show. So I think that is great. I appreciate these guys as well as everyone else. Yes. Thanks for everybody's feedback. Um, and uh, we enjoy you listening. It's tough to do a show after a loss when, when, when this doesn't happen very often. Uh, but that's one of the other advantages of being an Alabama fan. Absolutely. We don't have to, uh, I saw some, we don't, I saw do, someone, do this crap very often. I know. I saw, I saw someone post like, how do Tennessee fans do this every week? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if this podcast would still be rolling, man, if we were like other teams and mediocre, right? I tell you, so. we, would, we would age more prematurely. But, uh, hey, this has not been fun to do today, but overall this has been a phenomenal season. I don't want to take away a 14-win season. does not happen often. Uh, phenomenal season. Um, exciting season. Uh, just offensive explosion season. We'll probably mask some of the defensive issues over the course of the year, but uh, no less a fun ride, a disappointing landing, but um, uh, surely an exciting season. And uh, hopefully uh, it, it produces, it, it has the hallmarks and the motivation for, uh, for seasons to come. And so with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama football podcast roll tide anyways. Thanks for listening to the Alabama football podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, coach?
Of course, roll tie.